Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck Nicks? What's happening? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. Mark, M-A-R-C, Marin, M-A-R-O-N, 927-63. That's when I was born. What am I doing? Just reeling off details? What's happening? I'm not trying to apply for something. I don't have to prove who I am to you. Do I? You want to see my ID, huh? Do you? Wow. How's it going? I know for some of you, we're coming down to the wire on this Christmas business, and there's a lot of panic and fear in the world. The new strain is upon us, ripping through the population. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I did everything I could. I did everything I could. I, I called the people, and uh, I guess there was just no stopping it. There could have been, but there's a dummy problem. I don't need to rail about that. I'm boosted. I hope you're boosted. Hope you're getting your family to see the light a little bit. Peter Jackson. Yes, he's on the show. This show today. Peter Jackson was on the show from New Zealand. He's the uh, Oscar winning director of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, King Kong. And now the Beatles get back. We talk a bit about his whole career. But uh, a lot of this talk is focused on the Beatles and get back and wrangling that project. Good interview, a lot of stuff, a lot of questions answered about the process of working with the Beatles in the way that he did. All right. What else can I tell you? I had a dream and, you know, I rarely remember them, but this one I remember I was on a a big, fancy sort of like, it it seemed like a, a, a luxury liner giant jet. And that was the idea. It was this huge plane, but it didn't look like a plane. It just looked like this huge, you know, kind of like beautifully decorated, dark, oaky situation. A lot of nice furniture around. Huge, though. But in my dream, I was under the understanding that this was an aircraft. And somehow or another, I was seated with a fairly lofty bunch uh, of artists. I don't remember who was there, but I remember it was not quite my crowd, but I was sort of happy to be there, to be accepted amongst the high-minded art crowd. And then my ex-girlfriend, Sarah, showed up. I saw her walk in, and she was with some people, and she saw me. She's like, I'm not dealing with this. And, you know, she was going to walk away. She was clearly just not going to engage with me, but I was trying to be charming and sort of like can we put it behind us a bit and just be like people and talk? Can we do that? But sort of wasn't happening. And then this 
this giant vessel takes off and I can't feel it flying. It's making me nervous. It seems too big to fly. So then I go out a door. I, you know, I, apparently there's a deck on this aircraft and then I find that it's a boat and I'm at the back of the boat outside on some sort of, uh, what do you call them on boats? Deck. There's a guy there smoking. It's a smoking deck. And I'm like, this is a, this is a boat. He's like, yeah. And then like, I'm looking in the water at this giant propeller under the water. That's not moving. And I'm like, how are we moving? And then uh, somehow or another, almost intentionally, I dropped my phone into the ocean. And I had that moment where I'm like, fuck, that's, that's done. Now I got to deal with reality. I got to really be in the present. Like I had this feeling like there goes my phone. And then there was a minute like, well, there, what if somebody finds it? And it's like, dude, it's at the bottom of the ocean. No one's going to find it till, till years and years from now. Perhaps if the ship sinks right then, they'll find it when they excavate. But either way, I'm like, Man, now I've got to—I got to lock in. What the hell am I going to do? And then I had this realization in the dream that there's nothing that I have to do. There's, the phone's not going to make my life that much different, other than people can't get in touch with me. Then I started to wonder, like, did I bring my computer because I could do the find your phone thing? And then I realized, like, what the hell is that going to give you? you just want to see if it works for the bottom of the ocean. And uh, that was the—that was the extent of it. I'll take any input. Uh, I usually kind of break down my own dreams but i'm putting it out there i'm putting it out there wasn't a plane turns out giant boat i guess i could tell you about the comedy store the other night it seems that i've got to re regroove you know get my uh the hour that i built heading into new york uh back up on its feet but like i keep doing these short sets at the store which is fine the other night i had a set in the main room and then a set in the original room and it was just one of these nights where the main room was great. A bunch of sweet people. And somehow or another, that makes me kind of edgy. When all the comics walk into the dressing room after they're set and say, like, God, what a great crowd. I'm like, oh, fuck. It's, it's an odd response, but it's true. And I don't know why I think that. I guess I don't want to know that. I just want to know they're attentive people. I'm not sure what I'm looking for. But the my impulse inside of me when someone says it's a great crowd is that, like, no, fuck it up. I'll ruin it. We'll see. We'll see. It's always like a a bad omen somehow in my brain when when comics say great crowd. It was good, though. I did all right. My shit's a little dark right now, but that's the way it goes. Dark times. So then I go down the hall to the original room, and that audience was awful. Like, awful. But I, I was kind of, I've been doing so much comedy. If this is like a, an actual breakthrough in a way, where you realize that no matter how long you've been doing this or how good you've gotten at it, that on some level, it's going to come down to the material, number one. And also, it's going to come down to the audience. It just is. I'm not, not one of these people that's sort of like, there are no bad audiences. There's definitely bad audiences. No doubt. And I got up there with all the confidence of having just killed in the big room, and I, I got nothing. Like I did my first few things and I was like, nothing, like just sort of like, nah. And it was a pretty full room and just kind of like, nah, not nothing. You know, like maybe a polite, a polite guffaw from a couple of people. And I just, it was, I know what that's like. You know, it all comes back to you in that minute where you're like, oh my God, I am 
I've just grounded myself in fucking failure. I'm just like, this is what this is going to be. I've done this a long time. I know exactly what's happening. They're not going to give me fucking anything. Why? I don't know. Sometimes audiences don't come together. They just don't materialize as a group. But the truth is, it got going, and I did find the people that were laughing in the room, and it was enough, and it was interesting to just cleanse myself, baptize myself in the waters of tankage, in just the vacuum of the classic tank. And there's no sort of more present feeling than sitting up on a stage having just told a joke that usually gets laughs to nothing and just sort of like, wow. And you feel your heart kind of cringe and crinkle around the edges. And the great thing was I realized like, yeah, this happens, man. Enjoy it. Lean into the tankage. This is part of the job. And at the end of the show, I pointed out a guy in the middle of the room who sat there, who for some reason my gaze was upon because he was sort of in the center of the audience, in the center of my vision. He was just sitting there, middle-aged guy, and his wife had his arms crossed and just looking at me, gave me nothing, nothing. I didn't feel like he was doing it on purpose or he's trying to fuck with me. I don't even think that he knew that I could see him, but I did tell him at the end of my set, I said, you, sir, you, in the middle of the room, are the worst audience member I've ever had in my entire career. Right up there. Just fucking awful. You. Everybody laughed at that. But in in that moment, I was kind of serious. But the question is, was he really? Do you ever know what they're thinking about? No. Could it have had something not to do with me? Yes. Did it feel good to say that to him? Him being a representative of a pretty fucking lame audience? It did. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Peter Jackson, man. Now, you guys know how I felt about this Beatles thing. I, 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 I'll say it again. I say I feel like I've known them all my life. They, they were exactly like I thought they would be. And this was just the first time I got to hang out with them. I, I really was immersed. It changed, it changed my entire sort of bearings. I think, in part of my deep self. Pretty deep. And I enjoyed it. I I should mention that the Beatles' Get Back is now streaming on Disney+. And this was sort of like, you know, turn him on and he goes kind of thing. We were on Zoom, but I do want to tell you that there was a notification sound happening during the thing. And it was driving me nuts. Like, I was trying... I tried to turn it off on my phone, on my computer, on my other computer. I could not figure out which one of my machines was making noise until uh, until the interview ended and I realized it was coming from Peter. It was him. And we just didn't want to bother him with trying to make the adjustment because he was on a roll. But uh, it was a pleasure to talk to him. It was interesting to hear some of the uh, the process of of being with the Beatles as long as he was on film and why he made some of the choices he did. So this is me talking to Peter Jackson. 
Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. What a nice framing you've got there. Are you in your castle? I'm in just a house on, on the coast <laughs> in, in, in New Zealand. Just, uh, just right out your window makes me want to live there. Yeah, I know. It's all green and nice, yeah. Yeah. And there's boats. There's, you probably can't see this. There's a harbor with, with yachts and the boats. And it's, oh, it's yeah. All it's did, all very, very peaceful and nice. Did you grow up by there? I grew up about 20 miles away, yeah. Yeah, just just up the coast. So you're no, you're no stranger to boats. I hate boats. You, you do? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I know, I know. You're, you, you grew up on an island. I used to be in the Boy Scouts, and then our Boy Scout unit in this little town I was in, they decided to, they voted, somebody voted, I didn't vote to be, they, but they wanted to become a Sea Scout unit. So they so they became Sea Scouts, and I was sort of dragged along, had one one day where I was in a boat, and I threw up all over the boat, and, and uh-huh. I was just in front of all the other Scouts, and then I never... I never went back. It was that was the end of my scouting. Um, <laughs> no more boats. I get terribly seasick. But the water's nice if you look if 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 you see it from from a distance. It's really nice. But you have no problem with planes. Uh, I don't really like planes too much either. I'm a nervous flyer, but really? I like old planes. Hmm. But do you fly yourself? No, no, no. Oh God, no. Oh. <laughs> No, you, just, no. you just you have a, no, no, you just, I, I, I've never I've always wanted to fly I've always had a romantic notion and I've got some World War One airplanes and I've had this sort of you know this romantic notion of being able to fly in these first world war planes but I just think that if, if an emergency happens which I think is what you have to make your decisions based on you know what happens if, if something goes wrong yeah and the engine stops or something and I think I just panic I, I I don't understand engines I don't understand oil pressure I don't know any of that stuff so I think when the emergency happens I'd freeze panic and go straight straight into the ground so I've never really I, I just don't have a natural affinity for that sort of thing so um I, I fly in planes but I don't actually I don't fly them but you like the machines you have a, a some sort of a, a, you you have a passion for the planes themselves I have a passion for history in the first world war in particular, I guess. I mean, I mean, other parts of history. And for some reason, I grew up. Well, when I was young, I saw a movie called The Blue Max. Oh um, yeah, was that Mike? Was it Max von Sydow or somebody? No, Who was George it? Papard. George Papard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. Ursula Andress, of course. Which, which, when you, when you're 12 years old, she's Enough. a goddess. Yeah. Um, and so between Ursula Andress and the and the planes, it made a huge impression on me. And I sort of, I sort of. Um, I did end up uh, building some first world war planes and 
and um, I've got a little collection of those. So yeah. So what do you just have a guy when you want to go look at him? You got a friend who go fly him around for you? Yeah. Well, I've got a little kind of a team who who look after them. You know, I've got some uh, some engineers because they they all have to pass inspections and things. And then when they fly into the air shows, we uh, we've got a little group of volunteer pilots that fly them. But I actually the the, the plane that George Papard flies in the Blue Max, I. Uh, about ten years ago, I found that in a barn in the states. You know, it was in a, it was in a very bad condition. So, and I've restored it. So I've actually got the, the the exact plane that he flew that he flew in that movie. So, well, that's exciting. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah. Do you like model planes as well? Well, it, I mean, it began with models. It began with the little one seventy second, yeah, uh, Ravel and Epics models, and then it sort of expanded into full size planes. Yeah. Do you know uh, you know the comic uh, Jonathan Winters? He was a kind of an improvisational. Oh, oh, wizard. oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah, guy, a mad, mad, mad world. The guy yes, who, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. Mad, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know him. I interviewed him when he was, you know, near death, and I went to his house in Santa Barbara, and we were in, after we talked. He goes, "Let me show you the planes," and uh, uh-huh. he walks me down the hallway to his bedroom, and he's got this four-poster bed but on the ceiling he had about a hundred model planes hanging wow. and it was like it was oh, wow. like it's like he was like seven years old he just uh, he was so proud of him he wow. loved him and and if and the planes that he'd, he'd built he'd, he'd built and painted them and done I, 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 I don't know if i got that far i just know that they were right. hanging there and he and he loved them yeah. and it's very weird what people remember when you talk about nostalgia which is sort of you know yeah. what we're going to be talking about in a way is that you know, I walked him down that hallway, that old guy who'd had a life in show business, and there was a hallway just filled with pictures with him and everybody you could think of from the history of show business all along this wall. And he stops and he points at a picture, and it's of a little kid. It's a black and white picture that was barely, it was very grainy, a little kid and a dog. And he just said, I miss that dog. Out of all the pictures of his entire life, uh-huh. the thing that yeah. he held on to were these planes and that little dog. It was so touching. You know yeah. what we hold on to. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a, probably a childhood dog. I, I would, I would right, right. But after you know, after the you know, walking down that that hall of everybody, it was just so such a beautiful moment. The things that make an impact on mm-hmm. us when we're young, and I guess that's sort of what's driven a lot of your, you know, what drove the beginning of your film career too was a, a sort of nostalgia for something you saw when you were a kid, right? Well, um, my partner friend uh, reminds me whenever I need a little telling off or something. She's Quick, quick to remind me that I'm, that I'm still ten. That I have no, I have no interests or hobbies that I didn't have at the age of ten, ten or twelve. Well, I, I have Fran, which I guess doesn't because I didn't know her when I was ten or twelve. Well, that's but, not um, a, that's not a hobby. That's a person. No, but all my, all my, everything I'm interested in, all my passions, I, I are the same ones that I had when I was ten, or, ten, or, ten or twelve. I, I haven't actually developed at all as a uh, human being since, since then. So. Well, does that is is that something that bothers you, or you're okay with it? I'm I imagine. very, very happy. I'm I I I love being twelve. No, it's no, it's so great, great. No, no, I I, I mean, I seriously, I, I can I can um, you know, in in the lockdown that we 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 had in New Zealand last year, you know, we we were locked down for like seven weeks, yeah, and we couldn't work, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? You know, you know, in the house, and so I remembered when I was sixteen or seventeen, I tried to build Ray, um, Ray Harryhausen stop stop motion models, and I kind of, you know, back then I tried and I and I wasn't very happy, and then I got busy and I got school and work and everything else took 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 over. So I thought, well, I mean, here, here I am, two thousand and twenty, I could spend my seven weeks trying trying to build build them again. So oh, look, I'll, sh- I'll show you, I've got them, got them here actually. 
Um, so I built I built a couple of skeletons. Oh wow! Yeah, like those are the, so, those like the the Voyage of Sinbad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so they've all got armatures in them, and yeah. Oh, look at that so with that, the shields you know, that and was the... my lockdown uh, pro, um, uh, pro, project. So I, I I went back to finishing off a project that I that I abandoned when I was, when I was about sixteen. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to use them? Are you going to shoot them? Well, yeah, because I also, when I was 16, I shot a film of me as Sinbad. Yeah. Uh, super, super eight. So I had a shirt and pants and, and a wooden sword, and I, and I, was, fi- and I was fighting. Yeah. Um, I'm a visible you know, thing because, because I was always intending to, um, to animate the skeleton and superimpose it in. But at that point in time, it was all far too hard. So I've still got that film of the 16 year old me. Oh, good. Um, fighting an invisible, an invisible skeleton. So the idea is to. Um, Probably probably over Christmas when I've got some time, I'll uh, animate those into into my old film, <laughs> which is so easy easy to do with green screen and all that sort of stuff now. So yeah. this I'll is finally I... finish off a, um, a movie that I that I began when I was sixteen. So it'll be good. Wow, that is that's the longest production schedule ever, oh, right there. But, yeah, probably. <laughs> but you, you but get. It's fun. I mean, I just have I just have no interest in. I mean, everything I love really yeah. is. Is from that from that period of time, you know. It's um, yeah. First World War planes, uh, um, Ray Harryhausen monsters, movies, Super Eight films, and making movies. It's just you know Beatles, Beatles too. Is that about it's the time? I mean, how much? I mean, how, how old are you? Are you my? Are you my age? How old uh, are you? I'm sixty. I'm just turned sixty. I'm fifty eight. So we caught the Beatles. Yeah. We were very young. I remember. It's so. But the, my experience in watching that thing is very interesting. Uh, and I imagine everybody's having some sort of experience, but my parents had Let It Be, had the album, and you okay. know the the Beatles' second album and Let It Be were the two albums that were in the house when I was you know five or six, mm-hmm. and you know I remember it, there's something I talked about it on the show the other day that if you love the Beatles, you you don't you don't even think about it. It's just in your genetic structure. It's in your soul. The, your relationship yeah. with the Beatles is something you can't really even understand if you have it. But you if you have it, you have no. it. It's a, it's an odd thing, and yeah, yes my experience in watching the movie, and it's so weird because two weeks before I started watching your show or the movie, the documentary, I saw the Rolling Stones live. So I had this these two interesting experiences with these heroes of yeah, mine. Yeah, yeah. You know, two, you know, one of them I can still see, but the feeling of sadness and uh, and humanization of these idols of mine happened in both cases. With the Stones, it's sort of like. People are like, were they amazing? I'm like, no, they're they're old and they're still doing what they do, and it's it's nice, mm-hmm. but it's sad, mm-hmm. you know. And they're painfully human. Whereas with yes. your thing, you know, you watch that thing, it's like there is a sadness to it. But the the thing I couldn't get past was that like it 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 was almost like I've already known them my whole life, and I there was part of me that wasn't surprised at all by anything that was happening. It was sort of mm-hmm. like, yep, this is exactly. How it should be. This is what it was. Finally, I get to hang out with them. I know. Yeah, yeah. I felt the same. Way. You did. I, 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 um, I was, I was listening to a podcast the other day. Some yeah. Beatles fan thing. Just a, 
just you know, and they'd seen they'd seen get back. And one one of the guys made a comment which which made made me laugh because he was you know the same sort of thing. You know, I felt I, I felt that I'd gone back and spent time with them and all that. And, and he said, God, he said I I have to get used now that I'm living in a world that where a 27 year old McCartney and a 79 year old McCartney exist in the same world. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of it, it. It does it does play games with with your um with your head in that way. Really, well, it's it, weird yeah. for me like. I find it hard. Like I, I tend to develop some sort of. I guess it's probably my own fear of mortality because I've interviewed Paul, mm-hmm. and I've interviewed Keith Richards at different times. But mm. I, I start to get, uh, you know, not so much with Keith, but I. But weirdly, I'm a John guy. I, I, I mean, when I went to interview Paul, which, which is a big deal. He's a Beatle, but in yeah. my mind, I'm like, I'm still a John guy. Like I'm still, I'm, <laughs> right, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm going to interview Paul, but like he's not my guy, and. Yeah. What was it like? How much interaction did you have with him for the process? Oh well, I, I mean, I I could have as much as much as I as I um, as I needed. I mean, I, I didn't need a huge amount for, apart from just asking him questions. Like, there's that little sequence where he he appears to uh, to concoct get get uh, back back out of th- out of thin air. He just strums his bass. Yeah, yeah. Song comes so. I saw that clip and I sent and I sent it to him and I and I said, "Is this what I think think it is?" I said, did, "You know, did you have any idea about the song beforehand? Did you have a have a a snippet of the song song in your head to uh, to come in?" And he saw the clip because he couldn't remember the exact moment, so he looked at the clip that I sent him and he said, "No, no, that's 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 me making making it up, pulling it out of the air." Yeah, so he could recognize what he was doing. So I mean, he he was always available for those sorts of things. So I knew that I had my facts straight. But um, but why 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 are you a John guy? What's the what what's the reason oh. for that? Well, I mean, I think you know, as I grow up with it and I think about it, because like I when I was in like uh, uh, high school, I remember I spent hours do- drawing a picture of his face. I think mm-hmm. it was from uh, the Sergeant Pepper period, and I won an award for it. I mean, I like I spent hours and hours, you <laughs> yeah, know, on this yeah. John face, and yeah. I think because I I I relate to his sensitivity and to the his, to his emotional volatility. I think I relate to it without really knowing it. I think that right, you know I, what whatever yeah. we're attracted to when we're younger in terms of Beatles, yeah. they probably represent some of us. I, I liked his wit. I I knew. I think I knew innately he was you know, an angry guy and probably a sad guy. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and I and I just, I have to backload that because I assume that's what it is. I mean, Paul's great and I understand Paul's great, but he always seemed um, so, uh, you know, I, I just- He always seemed, seemed like the, the, show, the showbiz Beatle. Well, yeah, but, Beatle. but also like, you know, his the type of music he liked was kind of like, you know, marching well, band stuff. And But the one thing <laughs> I loved about watching the documentary is like, they yeah. love rock and roll, those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. they, you know, sure. they're, and they're only like, you know, you, you got to figure you're only 10, 11 years away from the beginning yeah. of rock and roll in earnest. So, you know, them sitting around playing Wilbur Harrison or whoever, uh, Blue Suede mm-hmm. Shoes or whatever it is. I mean, you know, that's only like 10 years ago. Those are songs that they, you know, that's how they, they got their, they learned their chops and they just love it. I mean, they, they had this, like, this strange experience of loving rock and roll and then before they became fa- famous, their their rock and roll heroes all all kind of um, they all kind of kind of imploded. You know, El- Elvis went into the army. Little Richard had issues. Chuck Berry had issues. Yeah. Um. Buddy Buddy Holly was killed. Yeah. So by so by the time they they were playing in Hamburg and in the Cavern Club, their rock and roll he- heroes had kind of gone. Oh, that's brutal. Um, you know, I never they, thought of they, that. They, yeah. they had a strange a strange experience, and I I heard an interview that. 
was done with John after they met Elvis because they went to LA in 64, 65. And they had their famous night night with Elvis, and um, and I found an interview with John the day the day after, and the guy said to John, "So, so what did you and Elvis talk talk about?" And John says, "Well, I just told him that that I preferred his his uh, his uh, records before the army, and 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 can he please do some more of those?" Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, that was John's chat, chat, with, chat with Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. So. Now, what, like, just like walk me through the, you know, what, what compelled you to do this? I mean, y- y- you know, what, wh- where did that, I, where did it come from? Did you, I mean, cause I remember like, it was weird when I watched the, I first, when I was going to talk to you the first time, I'd only seen what the press set out that one hour thing that you like the hour long trailer. Oh, yeah. And I realized I had seen that footage of John and Yoko dancing because I had seen the original documentary when I was in high school. So what made you decide to do this? Well, I, I mean, I, look, I, I've been a Beatles fan since I was about 12. So, right. So, so I just like living my life as, as an adult, as I said, but I'm just, you know, still following my passions as a kid. So yeah. I, I don't have any interest in sort of doing sort of grown up stuff really. And, uh, but I never really dreamt that I'd be doing any things with the Beatles because you sort of think at this point in time, you know, what, what is there to do? Yeah. But I, it was weird because I was working on this World War I um, film, uh, They Should Not Grow Old. I saw that. And and norm, normally I'm New Zealand based, but uh, that made me um, take several trips to London to go to go into the archives and look, look for film and stuff. So I was also, must, I mean, I'm just piecing it together. I can't quite remember the how or why, but I was also doing interviews, I guess, at the time where I was expressing an interest in uh, in the technology VR and AR, you know, um, with with the glasses and you put them on, you see things, which which I'm still interested in, but. Um, it hasn't kind of take, take, taken off yet, but anyway, uh, the guys at Apple, Apple Core, the Beatles, Apple, not not the other Apple. Yeah, um, they must have seen that. They must have heard an interview because I because I never met met them before, and they must have heard that I was in London for some reason. I don't I don't know how. So anyway, I get an invitation to or I, or I get a request. Could I pop into Apple and meet with Jeff Jones and Jonathan Clyde because they at that point they had a, a Beatles exhibition, uh-huh. a live sort of that they were thinking about doing from what i could understand and never got very far i mean it's, it's not going to happen but from what i could understand it was like you walk into a, you know an exhibition hall and you see uh, original costumes and guitars right. yeah and you see a, re- a replica of the cabin club and you right, you know right. it, go, yeah. it, go, it was sort of like a walkthrough thing and so they were interested in using um vr or ar technology so that you you know you know on the, the doorway you'd be given some glasses and you go through and you see and you see Beatles doing things. So they just wanted to pick my brains about what, where the, te- the technology was at. So it was just really a, a meet and a chat. And um, so anyway, I show up at Apple and it's, you know, I mean, it's very small. It's, the, the company's very, very small as I, as I we down, down here. So, you know, it, um, it, it felt sort of, it, it felt nice. It's like a, a sort of homely place where there's Beatles, there's Beatles posters everywhere and just you know, photographs everywhere. And I was all, all mad. And I was thinking, don't act like a fan. Don't act like a fan. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're here to talk about AR and VR. So for God's sake, just be just be a pro. So anyway, I sat in the room and I chatted with them about the AR, VR thing, sort of, sort of gave them a brief description of what, what you could do with it. And then I had one question, one fan question that I had for years and years and years uh, that I wanted to ask. And so I just sort of, I just slipped it in and said, oh, by the way, um, you're, if you're needing some footage of the Beatles that no one's ever seen before, um, whatever happened to the outtakes from Let It Be? 
but I had no idea how much survived. If it was, if it had all been junked, if it, you know, I just, I just didn't, didn't know. Um, so they said, Oh no, um, we've got, we've got it all. We've got 60 hours of film. Oh, we've got God. about 140 hours of, of um, audio. And then they said, Oh, it's strange that you should mention this because we, we had a meeting the other day and we're thinking about, but perhaps we should do, do a film that, uh, that uh, uses, uses the outtakes. And they were <laughs> yeah. just, they were just finishing up eight, eight days a week at that time. And I was sort of in the last year or so of they shall not grow old. And so I did the one thing that, that I've never ever done in my life. I, I stuck up my hand and I said, <laughs> if you're looking for a filmmaker, if you haven't got somebody attached yet, um, just please think, think of, think of me. And so that was really weird. They disappeared into another room and they came back and they said, if you want to do it, do it. It's a, it, um, are you, are you, you can, it's, it's all, it's all yours. Oh my God. And so I kind of walked, I walked into the meetings to, to sort of, to give them some thoughts about AR and VR and I walked out with get back. But, but even then I, I didn't want to commit to it because I knew the reputation of the, of the project of the, of the misery and the, and the squabbles and, you know, all the books that I read said that they couldn't stand it, stand each other's company and, you know, you know, all the, all the really bad stuff. Right, so right. At, at that point I said, well, I'm, I'm how, how can I look at, look at this stuff? And they said, well, we've got it on a, on a um, server, um, you know, it was all very. The security was all very. I mean, they weren't going to give it give it to me to take home. Um, and so at that point, I extended my trip in London. I was supposed to be working on they shall on they shall not grow old, but I took I took a leave of, of absence for a week. Uh-huh. Extended my trip, and I when I went into Apple every single day, and they had an office for me. And so I'd arrive at eight in the morning, and I'd sit 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 there till six. Oh my god! And they'd go fetch, fetch, fetch me burgers and stuff for lunch. What was the first feeling, man? I mean, what were like when you first dread, turned it dread. on? It was, it was dread. It was dread because I totally bought into the reputation of the Let It Be period. Yeah, and and I and I kept thinking, what the hell am I going to see? Because I kept thinking, if if Let It Be, which which I you know had seen and was pretty familiar with. If Let It Be was what they allowed Michael Lindsay Hogg to show, what the hell did they not? Want them to show what horrors am I going to see? Right, because you don't want you know because people you admire. I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, I could call them heroes, but yeah. You know, and they when I was younger, they were heroes. But as I got older, they were just people that I you know their, whose skill and talent, talent I admired. Their story was great. Um, I didn't want to see. I didn't want to see the real people because I was terribly worried that the real you know whenever you meet your heroes there yeah you you inevitably they're not what you hope hope they'd be. I was look. I was excited because this film had never been seen by by anybody for fifty years. So I mean, I was immensely curious, but I was also dreading it. And I was, and I said to the guys, look, if this is a if this film is as bad as what it's supposed to be, in terms of the, you know the mood and the atmosphere and everything else, yeah. I, I'm I'm probably not not not, not going to do it. I said I, I can't believe I'm saying this because doing a Beatles film is a lifelong dream of mine. But I really don't want to do a Beatles film with full of argument and misery and and depressed Beatles. I really, that's not the film I, film I, I want to do. How long did it take you before you realized that wasn't the case? About, well, it was a slow unveiling because I didn't have any script. I mean, there's no actual script there's, right. there's, and, and there's no paperwork. They had the film organized day by day. So it starts on the first day, uh, second of, you know, and, and it was 60 hours of film. At that point, the the audio they didn't they didn't sort of that, I, I wasn't hearing that it was just just the film with with the with the audio with the film yeah so yeah yeah it was sixty hours to go through and so 
it was a slow process where each day I'd sit there for seven or eight hours and watch, but for seven or eight hours, get through day one. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd come in the next day, I'd be on day two. The next day, day three has got the argument or the, 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 the thing with, the, with Paul and George, you know, so I watched that and I thought, well, this isn't actually as bad. You know, the, the I'll play anything you want or I won't play at all. You just tell me what you want me to do. You know, I, I watched the whole thing. And in our movie, it's about, we've extended it to about eight, eight, or, eight or nine minutes, but the actual thing is about an hour and a half long, that, that um, sequence. And I just watched it. I thought, okay, well, like, this is building up to that little exchange that I've seen and let, let it be, and this is not feeling too bad. And then, and then the, the famous words happen, and then it carries on. And I'm thinking, well, that's actually kind of not as bad as, bad as I thought, thought it was. And then, but I was wait, still waiting for the, the stuff that Michael wasn't allowed to, you know, the stuff that where they're swearing at each other or they're shouting or they're yeah. throwing things or, right. or God, God knows what. And it just never happened. And it got funnier and funnier. Yeah. It just got funny. And I, and I was laughing. And, um, and I saw, so I got through about, I think I got through up to about when George left the band in that first week. And, um, and, and so I, I didn't get into several row. I got, the first seven days and I said and I said to them look I have to fly home but I'm really keen to do it um and you're going to have to send it send it to me you're going to have to break all your security um protocols you're going to have to tr trust me and you're going to have to send, send me the whole thing because like because I've only seen you know the first seven hours I need to keep keep on um watch it, watching it but it look it looks great and I knew that um from what I'd read in the books that the several row stuff was going to get better so I thought well this is actually pretty funny and if, if several rows better it's some um, great so they sent it to me. I, I had it on an iPad and um, and I watched it and uh, and it took me a few weeks to get through it all. And then I then I watched it again twice. Yeah, because you know you watch it once and you don't pick up all the little the little clues about stuff that's gonna that's gonna happen uh, later 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 on. Right, so I had right, to go right. back and watch it again. And then um, you know I slowly just um, I slowly built up this picture in my head of this 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 of what I assumed was more like the truth of that month. And that coincided about that moment in time when I'd seen it a couple of times. Um, uh, Paul, Paul comes down to New Zealand to do a concert. Um, December, 2017, it was. So they arranged for me to go meet Paul. So, so he was the first, um, he was the first Beatle that I had, that I, I met on the, uh, for the project. And I go into the meeting before a show and I, and he looks at me and I and I say, "Well, Paul, I've seen all the outtakes." Yeah. And I mean, he 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 hadn't he hadn't seen them. He had a memory of whatever his his memory of, which was pretty grim. Um, emotional. It's emotional memory. Different. Well, right? it's a memory of May nineteen seventy. It's a it's a memory of the breaking up and the and let it be coming out. And it's not a memory of January sixty nine. So as as I discovered with quite a few few of the people. But um, so I said to Paul, look, I've seen the seen the whole lot. I've seen every single frame yeah. frame of film. And right. he looked he looked nervous. He really looked. He had a a, a really sort of almost childlike, frightening frightened look on his face. And I just and I and I just said to him, look, whatever you think it is, and I know what you think think it is, the same as what I thought it is. It's not that. It's actually really, really great. It's really funny. It's <laughs> it's it's you know, and there's friendship and everything else. And I had my iPad, uh, which I had the footage on, so I showed him some bits, and um, and he was so relieved. He was so happy. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he was so happy. I mean, I mean, this was not to do with a movie or anything at this yeah. point. He was just so happy to hear that the film that was shot didn't show 
fighting, squabbling, swearing at each other, arguments, which I guess in his head over the period of time he'd 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 built that um picture in his head because I think every, everybody had taken the movie Let It Be at its release in May May nineteen seventy. The headlines are saying the Beatles are breaking up. And they've taken that as a, as a core and they've extrapolated that, you know, out, you know, time has passed. It's gotten worse over time. Yeah. The outtakes must be really, really bad. The whole thing is sort of built from that May 1970 um, moment in time when the film came out after they'd broken up. But it's, and it has no relation with the, with the January 69 filming at all. Um, well, I think like what's amazing, what's amazing to me in watching it is like, I don't know why I didn't bring any of that baggage to it. Like I didn't, yeah, I didn't really put it in my head. I didn't frame it historically. I just sort of entered it. I knew that they were going to break up soon, so I didn't. I didn't go in with any of the dread that you had. I just like I took it at face value, and I thought all the friendships were intact. And I thought maybe they were. You know, probably. I I, I wonder if they ever really yelled and screamed because they're pretty British, all of them. Uh, well, on, on, on this on the hundred and fifty hours of audio, because the real story is actually in the Nagra tapes and the uh, audio. Yeah, you know, which you get, which they roll audio most almost all, all day long and, and and i've certainly you know i mean i don't know what happened at, you know in the evenings or at the weekends or anything else but certainly during those 22 days listening to the audio which is pretty much starting in the, in the beginning of the day and going through to the end um and they had an a b machine so if one had to change the tapes the other one was going um i there was not one moment where a beetle had an angry word to another beetle yeah not one moment where, where one of them swore, swore at each other I mean, they swear a lot, but they swear in a sort of funny scouse way. They don't. They don't actually swear in a in a um, in an, in an aggressive way. So, but they. But they. There's no. There's no sh- shouting. Yeah, I didn't feel it at all. I mean, I. I felt. I felt sad. I didn't. I. I felt sad. You know, because I knew that, as you probably knew, you know, John was struggling with his addiction problems, and you know, George was unhappy creatively. But I didn't bring any of that to. I. I kind of noticed that during it. And I, I didn't realize that John was in the throes of the addiction that he was in until after I watched it. And and Paul mm-hmm. and, was Paul. And even Yoko, like from the get-go, like I was able to sort of not pay attention to her at all, uh, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of them did. And they, it seemed like that this idea that she was hanging over this band, she almost like became furniture. I mean, it was a very... Oh, oh no, she, no, she does. She, um, she does for sure. But you see, up, up until now, up until this film has come out, what you've seen of Yoko has been either little tiny, you know, ten-second film clips. Yeah, where where the band and there's her, and you immediately go, "Oh my god, oh my god, she's sitting right right there." Or still photos, you know. And for fifty years, it's been little clips or still photos. And it's and and you're right. It's only when you see the enormity of 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 the of the um you know the the length, which is yeah. um, eight eight hours and. Two- them that it's just like you just realize well so well so so what she's quiet she she doesn't interfere yeah she doesn't tell paul how to, how to play play his bass it's just what 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 the hell is the um, yeah, issue right, you know right. and you know but but it's a very different story to, to, to the 50 years of these of these photos oh, that you've yeah. seen in books of, right by yeah you thought this was going to be it you know and and also there's yeah. moments with her and Linda that were kind of genuine and and you yeah, know yeah. Uh, you know just you know uh, uh, wives of the band kind of moments and yeah, 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 it didn't yeah. stifle any of the creativity now when okay so so when you see all this footage and you start going through it tell me why yeah. 
you know, what did you do to it, Peter? What was the magic you did to it that made me feel like I was hanging out there? That made, there was no, uh, the emotional interface was so immediate. There, is there some mm. way that you treated the film? Did you take out any, like, I don't know, like, I know there's the magic of the Beatles, but it's a lot to sit through eight hours of guys, you know, doing, you know, bits and pieces of songs, even if it is the Beatles. But there was points where I, I picked up my guitar on my couch and or I'd go get something to eat. And I'm just sort of like, well, they're just doing that now. How, what did you yeah, do? Yeah. How did you how did you visualize? I, I can hear mm. how you were starting to put the story together, but how did you visualize the effect of the film itself? Mm. Well, I think the effect of the film itself is is related is tied to the story. I mean, you can restore the film, but you're still got to have the story because I think you know the, the the sense that you're with them and, you, and you're sort of going on this journey with them is also story related. But in terms of the technical stuff, we um well we'd done this first World War movie where we'd restored this old hundred year old. Um, footage you know which, which was pretty hard because black and white scratchy and 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 you did this at, at, at your you did this at your magic lab Park road Post, which is about a mile a mile down yeah the road here in in uh, wellington yeah um very small team but a really really talented team very 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 clever and we're sort of just down the other end of the world so we don't we don't care what anyone else does we just develop our own code our own so our, our own software and our own yeah. team and we just and we go for it. So anyway, we'd done the World War One film, and um, what we what had happened after, as we were going through the, towards the end of the first World of uh, the first World War film, I had my um, my first uh, three movies, which I made when I was I was younger, sort of the horror, horror movies, splatter movies, were all yeah. shot on six, on on a six, sixteen mil. They've never come out in any sort of a restored form. Yeah, you know they got they got they got released and on VHS basically in the 1980s, uh, oh, yeah. early nineties. So, so I said to the guys, I said, God, I love while, while we're on a roll here, I'd love to get my old, my old six, 16 mil films. Um, well, like meet the, meet the feebles meet the, and bad taste and brain and brain dead. Yeah. 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 And so I said, I'll get the original neg for the 16 mil stuff. It's not the world war one. It's, you know, it's color. It's a, it's six, 16 mil neg. And, um, it'd be great if you guys could start to, to work on that. So we just begun that when the Beatles thing, thing arrived. So we'd already switched our sort of pipeline from, from the world war one, 35 mil sort of nitrate, uh, uh, uh sort of thing to the 16 mil color based, based on my, uh, on my, on my old horror, horror movies. And, and, and I was shooting on pretty much the same sort of film, yeah. film that the Beatles shot on. So um, it's a case of just, you know, the, the, the concept with removing the grain and trying to make it look as sharp as, as I can, it was actually a deliberate one, one, you know, people sort of, you know, have opinions about it and stuff. And there's film grain enthusiasts that hate the idea that, that all the film grain is gone and everything else. But, but I had a very, um, I had a very definite goal in mind because what I, I, I wanted, you know, as I was looking looking at the film and before before we got started, because Apple kept saying to me, "What's what's the story? What's the story you're going to tell?" And I was saying, "Well, hang on, let me let me see it first. Let me, let me see it and have and have a think." Um, but I, you know, I always, as a kid, fantasized, you know, as I was a young Beatles fan, fantasized that surely when you know, as a 16 year old, 12 year old, 16 year old Beatles fan, I assumed that by the time I got to be an old bastard like I am now. A time machine will will have been invented, and you know, and maybe we get to all get to pick a day to go back. And I thought, what, you know, I'm the day I'm going to pick. I'm, I don't know exactly what day, but I'm going to go back to to every every road, and I'm going to sit sit in the corner of the studio and and spend a day watching the Beatles at work. That that was my if if we could all pick a a time machine yeah. um, trip, just one that would that would have been mine. I, you know, I'd have to figure out what what um, al album uh, exactly to do it on. So I just looked at the stuff and I thought, God, this 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 is. 
that this is this is like a time a time machine, but it's not like a time machine when it's when it's grainy and scratchy because it's like you know there's a there's a film there's a film of film. Um, yeah, it's it, sort like, of like, like that. Then the film becomes something unto itself, not what's on the film. Well, it becomes that. Look, we found fifty-year-old film, right. you know, of the Beatles, and look, it's, it's old and it's got grain, but it's, yeah. but it's them and isn't it cool? So I thought, if I really want to pull off this time machine thing, I've got to remove as much between yeah. us and them. Yeah, and that that involves removing all any scratches, any um, imperfections, any hairs in the gate and the grain. Try to make it look as crisp and clean as I can. And if I can do that, then hopefully we'll feel like we're 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 in a room with them. And 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 that was also the reason why I I, I made a decision early on not to do any mod, modern day interviews, not to interview Ringo or Paul or Glenn Johns or anyone else, because that immediately is is the 50-year gap again. I just wanted to to get in the time machine, take any any interested parties along with me, any any Disney Plus subscribers, I guess, yeah. at this point in time, um, and we'll all go and watch and, and watch them at work. And so I wanted to, you know, look, it's, it's all it's all weird headspace stuff, but that was, I just, you know, that was the, the thought behind yeah. doing all the, you know, to, to restore it to the level that we did. Well, and also, I think the the decision not to uh, engage with any the uh, survivors, I mean, you mm. would you would run into the liability of the emotional liability of that that fifty year gap again. That like obviously, most yeah. of these guys have 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 you know reframed that memory, uh, you know, d- based on events that happened afterwards. So yeah. like, why bot why why screw with the purity of what you already had? And there's 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 so much space there. Well, well, you see, that then went on to the narrative, then to the storyline, because of course, taking on this project, there's no script. You know, normally when I make a movie, you've got, you know, you sure. you go into the, you you go and you cut the movie. Um, you know, you, you finally get into the cutting room to cut it. Yeah. And at that point, you've written the script. Every scene has got a number. There's a story. There's a three act structure. You've shot it. You know, each day, you you, uh, you know every frame of film that you've shot. You know the best takes. And so the cutting is like a pretty sort of, you know, it's fun. It's my favorite part of it, but it's, there's, there's no mysterious thing, thing to it. It's like, you know, there's, there's surprises, but it is, you, you're following your script and then you're following what you, what you shot. And then it's, but here I, here I had, um, you know, 130 hours of uh, audio really in the, in the, in the camera just uh, switches on, on, on and off during it. So there was like 130 hours, no script. And the thing that I realized as soon as I saw it, yeah, I realized that all all the books that I'd read were very un unreliable. So it wasn't like I could turn to some expert Beatle guy who's written a book and you know use that as 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 my guide because I I realized just how how wrong the book the books have been. I mean, some of the books say they could they couldn't bear to be to be in each other's company. Uh, John was off his head all the time they were phoning it in they were coming in with finished songs and the others were just acting as, acting as i mean every every negative um spin that you could imagine has yeah. been put on on this um so i couldn't rely on books so i had to 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 um jabez olsen who who i cut it with just the two of us we sat in a room for well it, well, it was months really and we listened to the 130 40 hours and we listened to it again and we had to build up our own storyline from the from what they were saying. So we were we were eaves, eavesdropping on fifty year old 
conversations that they had no idea were going to be heard yeah. by us in 50 years' time. And we were trying to figure out what's what's the truth. What is actually happening? Why are they there? What are they doing? What's going wrong? Why does George leave? Why do they go to separate? You know, why, 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 why? And, and the answers were all coming from thing, things, things that they, they were saying. So it wasn't until we went through the audio like twice that we pieced together what we thought was the actual, you know, more or less the um, a much more accurate narrative and then we decided we'll just tell the story day day by day so for you like an example of that would be george leaves and you track it back to them you know not listening to their songs his songs in a serious way well george leaving is interesting because we um you know there's a day where he has his little uh, uh sort of tetchy exchange with paul that's that's day three i mean i i don't know the dates that's so i just say day yeah. one two three four five so that's day three george doesn't leave till day seven so um like I, sp- I spoke to Ringo and I said, why did George leave? And he said, well, you've seen it in the film, in the Let It Be movie. He, you know, he and Paul had, uh, George, George and Paul had these angry words and he got up and left. And I, I said to Ringo, no, no, that, that happened on day three, Ringo, and he didn't leave till day seven. And, R- and Ringo said, no, 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 no. He had those, and I just thought, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue with Ringo. Yeah. <laughs> because he's actually, I mean, I mean, again, it's just, just his memory had, had muddled up the movie with, with the, um, with the facts. And that's fine. It's a long, long time ago. So, um, so anyway, George uh, has a little exchange on day three. Day four, he's he's, you know, George is reasonably happy. Day five, he's very very happy because they do I Me Mine and they have some fun. Yeah. Day six, he's having a great day. They're doing com- Commonwealth and they're clowning around and doing um, uh, bathroom window. And George is having a good time. So yeah. So James and I are looking at this stuff and say, well, he's going to leave tomorrow because watching all the day six stuff. Well, he's going to leave tomorrow. What? What? Why is he? You know, where's where? Are the, where are the clues? There's no arguments. Yeah. There? So we get on to day seven and day seven starts. Starts with Dick James, the publisher, the Northern Songs guy, being there for a meeting. George comes in a bit late and thanks him for the glasses that he gave him over Christmas. Yeah, and then they then they get working on two songs. They start with Get Back and they go into two, two of us. And we we did a really f- a a forensic ex- um, examination because we could tell from the Nagras where their if, if our time time was um was a cut, we could tell if the, if the tapes of tape machines had been t- turned off. We could we could because of the coding on the tapes and stuff. Yeah. I mean the film the, the actual film that was shot just turns on and off on on off all the time. But the for the sound you can actually you can track the um the the actual time of the day that the tapes run. And I had our guys examine it, and I said, okay, so we're starting to start with their they they're doing get back. They spend about three hours after Dick James leaves. Yeah. And then they break for lunch and George says, I'm, I'm leaving now. And I, and I said, is there any break? Is there anything that where they could have had an argument where the tapes uh, didn't, didn't roll? And they said, no, no, the, this is, this is, this some sound, sound is, is continuous. There's no, there's no stoppages in, in this, in the, in the audio. And so Jabez and I looked at it over and over again. I mean, we, I mean, the, the audio is there and there's, and there's a fair bit of film shot. And it just looked like, well, to us, it looked like George was in a very depressed state. Yeah. Right at the beginning of the day. He, yeah. I mean, he arrived. In, and, and from what we can understand, and we didn't want to actually get into this in the movie, he, he was having some some domestic issues at home. Oh, uh, right. Uh, with so, Patty. I think right. Patty, Patty had left. Uh, Patty had just walked, walked out on him. With for, um, like wasn't that and, involving Eric Clapton too? That was a little bit later. I think okay. that was another. I think another year. I think this, this was some some other thing. But I, you know, that's not what I'm. So, I mean, I've I've never been interested in the yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. private life. Yeah, yeah. And I certainly didn't want to make a movie that because there's obviously not, none of that's on film, and I wanted just to stick with what we had filmed. So we don't cover it and get back. But 
from what I've understood, he was having some pretty serious uh, domestic trouble. Right. And then you add on to that, you know, you can add on to that as much of the of the disrespect from the other two and they're not interested in the songs, which is not really true because they, I mean, uh, all things must pass. They do, they do like six, 60, 67 takes of it. I know. I mean, we, we have one, we, we, we show one one take. Oh, so they really and, tried. And, 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 and get back. They, they, spend, they spend at least... Um, the best part of two entire days working on it, or, or at least, you know. You well, know. you could definitely feel the uh, the the love. Like when I watched uh, Above Us Only Sky, you know, the Imagine uh, yeah. documentary, there was a yeah, moment yeah. that goes unspoken between John and George where you're like, they were so deeply connected in, in such, in a way that, you know, I can't even mm-hmm. fathom or understand musically mm-hmm. and emotionally that, you know, and you felt that, you know, I, I, you mm. like I felt that through the entire thing that you know they all knew each other pretty well and they all had their roles I guess but emotionally they were very fluid and very connected and you never I never felt once that you know there there was you know real hostility uh, on behalf of any of them towards the others no so so we were so we studied George that in the morning and we studied him so carefully and we, and we looked at the film we had, it was no trigger. There's no moment where they, you know, Paul's says a bit, he's a little bit blunt. We talks about we, uh, something about how, you know, how to play the bass, uh, how, how to play the guitar. Yeah. For the, I, th- I think it's get back. I mean, it, but it's not rude, rude or anything. It's no. just a little bit. And George, George doesn't take it very, very well. He thinks he says, oh, oh, you need Eric Clapton for that. You know, and John that says, was just no, insecure no, though. Yeah, it is. You see, because everything, everybody's a human, and I think everyone looks for the for black or white, and it's, and it's never black or white. It's always shades of grey. So I think you've got George being a bit insecure, and you've certainly got him maybe feeling that he's only ever going to get two songs on on an album, no matter how great his songs are, and he's now now uh, writing a lot. So you've got sort of things behind the scenes. You know, you've got the a sense that they're not respecting his songs, perhaps to some degree, and then if you've got if you've got stuff at home, if you've got a domestic crisis, yeah. you know, you just sit, you're going to sit there thinking, I could, I could, I can, I could sit here all day with these guys and you know doing get back, doing, doing, doing their their songs because they're not going to do, do do all things that must pass today, yeah. or I could just leave and leave and go sort out sort out my home home life right. because I've got some issues I need I need to sort out. So I, I mean, I, you know, I just kind of think that George George sits there that morning, looking exactly like like he does in the film. I mean, that those shots that we did where where Paul and John are clowning around and they're in they're in each other's faces, and George is just sitting there separate, looking pretty depressed. That, that that's that is the real the real footage from from that day. It's I mean, you know, we because because we because we couldn't cheat we couldn't cheat um shots from from one day to the next because because there are uh, clothes are uh, cha- right, right. time so. So you know that morning, George was sitting there exactly as you see him, separate from the others. He just feels, and it just so happens that they're working on two songs. John and Paul are working on two songs right up in it. You know, you know, you know, close. Get back and and two of us are songs that don't really, you know, they're not really interested in George's input at, that, at this point. Um, so he, fe- you know, he looks like he's on, he's sort of on the outer. But I think he's also feeling the feeling that himself. He's he's sort of ad- adding to it as well. So. Um, and it's the most George-like. It's the most George-like thing when he leaves. I I think I'm leaving the band now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the, I love the way he says. I I think I'm leaving the band now. <laughs> Was he your favorite Beatle? Uh no, I didn't really have a favorite Beatle. Although I like George. I I, I well, I mean, I, I I like them all after the footage. But I, I understand George a lot more from right now. Now that we've, now that I've seen this footage, George reminds me of a of a of a Kiwi, a, a New Zealand male, a very very um, pragmatic 
no romantic sort of flights of fancy. Yeah, you know, you know, when John and Paul are saying, "Oh, we'll, I will get the, will I, will, will I go to a, in, into the amphitheater when we'll get the QE two and we'll take all the fans." George says, oh, "It's a bloody stupid idea. Yeah. Who's going to pay for it? Yeah, pay for it. You know, George is always <laughs> that guy. Yeah, and and in a film set or 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 any, you, you know, that guy is a really important guy. Got to have the one, the one that stops all the all the visionary kind of talk and the, yeah, yeah, and just cuts it." says that's never going to happen yeah, that's yeah. going to be far, far too expensive those people are very very important and, and important pe- people to have and so um so you've got the sort of john and paul doing the you know the sort of the the visionary kind of kind of stuff the um um spacing out on 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 all the amazing things that could be and george is just a pragmatic one who's going to pay pay for that that's never going to happen yeah. you know which which makes him seem grumpy but he's not grumpy he's just you know He's just saying what needs, what what needs needs to be said. So I actually love George. I love George a lot more now. Now that now that I understand him, because he's always he was always the quiet Beatle, yeah, lead guitarist. But now I sort of I, and, and I can see he's very insecure too. It's, yeah, it's interesting when 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 his, when his own songs are are up, you know, for for rehearsal. He's yeah. very very nervous and insecure. But if it's Get Back or Dig a Pony, he's got all sorts of ideas. He's he's incredibly co- confident. He can improve the songs and he suggests things sure. and and. John, Paul are really happy to get to get his, get his own notes, but when it's when it's his own song, he's very very insecure and ner- nervous. You know, you just have to feel feel from him. He's just he's just a human. Well, being. They're, they're not even thirty years old. I mean, of course he's insecure. They, let me ask you a question about these um, about the credits. Like, you know, the, you you had all these fragments of songs that seemed to be that needed to be attributed. What was that? Why was that? I mean, that was me. I, it wasn't anybody telling me to do it. I just thought that. I mean, if it was me watching it, because I'm not a huge musical guy. I mean, I, I like the Beatles. I don't really know much much else about about anybody else. I'm I'm a uh, I'm a musical a single band guy. I'm a musical moron, basically. Yeah. So, so I just thought if if I'm watching this and I hear a fragment of a song that I don't recognise, I'd be thinking, is that a, is 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 that an unknown Lennon McCartney song, or is it a Chuck Berry song, or is it a Little Richard song? What's 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 that? I I, I just know that I'd be immediately wondering. So yeah. I didn't want anyone. to to do the same as that. I just wanted to answer. So if you hear a fragment of a song and it's quite good and the Beatles only do a lot a, a, do a, a line or two if you've got the name then you can go by by the um by the, the Chuck Berry album or right right the little Richard album sure. and, hear, and hear the whole thing. So it was just really a sort of sort of informational thing. It wasn't a legal thing or anything. Oh, okay. It was just um, And how excited were you when uh when like I it was very it was beautiful. I mean you must have been excited too where you know they mention you know, you know, working with Little Richard and seeing Billy Preston yeah. early on, and you yeah, know yeah. that Billy Preston's going to show. Know, we know, we know, we know what's going to happen. Yeah, how I great know, was that? Yeah, I know it's incredible. I know, and he every changed everything. He changed everything, Billy. Yeah. I know Billy is fantastic. I mean, I, I again, I didn't really have an appreciation of Billy separate to the Beatles. I knew, you know, I, I mean, I knew his work on on the because uh, I heard the uh, songs. For forty years, and I read, yeah. read the books, but I didn't. But I haven't seen Billy in any other in any other way. I haven't, you know, got, got any of his, his albums or anything. So I, you know, so I knew that he was, you know, and I knew that he was always credited as as really, you know, up, uplifting their spirits and stuff. I knew that from the books I read. But um, it wasn't until I saw it on film that I just thought, holy shit! Yeah, <laughs> they, 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 and it's not that because I, I, I don't like a lot of the books say that he. 
he came in so that and 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 they began to to behave themselves. Or, you know, a lot of the books sort of say that it was when when Billy arrived, they stopped sniping at each other and uh-huh. they stopped and they had to behave because there was a fifth person in the room. But that's that's just not true because they were they were getting on fine b- before Billy came in. But what Billy gave them is a, is this ru- rush rush of excitement. He just gave them their songs are su- a, just right. just lift. Yeah, up. they go from from being what they've been rehearsing, and they suddenly Billy's Billy's playing. And they and, and and it's their songs getting getting improved by his playing, and so so John and Paul are just so thrilled. Yeah, can, and and it's just this, ru- this rush of excitement. And Billy's such a good, he's such he's 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 an incredible guy. I mean, I don't really understand um, any any music, but he just seems to sit there and na- nail it. Yeah, nail it. Go. And it filled out the songs. Like they they he said that I don't remember who said it was was it John or Paul who said that they wanted piano in all the songs. They wanted it there. Yeah. And yes, I had no yeah. idea how much bass John played. It took me a while to realize that that Fender six string that was a Fender six string bass that he plays a mm-hmm. lot of bass on that record. They played bass if Paul if Paul was on the uh, blue, the uh, blue, blues on the grand piano. Yeah, yeah. But you see, I was very careful in the film. Like I said to Jabez, okay, well, when Billy arrives and they say hi and 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 they say sit sit there and he sits there and he's playing. I said we we got to make sure that the first time in the movie that we see him play has got to be the actual f- first time he plays. You know, because I didn't want to I was very aware that I could you know, because he's because he comes at lunchtime so there's about four four or five hours of him playing. I said I don't want to you know, I don't want him to sit there and then we suddenly cut to a take he does at 4:30 right. in the afternoon after you know, you know, to give a, I I said we we got to make sure that the first time we see him play is the real first First time he plays, I was pretty, I was pretty careful at you know being responsible for because I said that's you know it's important from a from a hist- from a historical um, uh, uh, perspective that we're not playing playing a games here. And he sits there and he starts playing and and their faces light up and they get so 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 excited, so excited. It's great. And he just he he's got no music, he's got no guide. I mean, they don't give him a practice run, they don't play it to him first. They just play the song and he's lit- and he just makes it makes it makes it up as he as he goes for the first time. You know what's interesting is is by the time you know we go through all this stuff and all this uh ups- you know the the story of heading towards the roof is that yeah. what i found shocking what you know after that i'm having the experience that you were having you know watching mm. the beatles and 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 feeling the chemistry and 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 having everything that you believed about this period you know kind of you know uh, you know proven false and and having a great warm feeling but nostalgic and then when they get to the roof and you see the onlookers and you see people on other roofs and you see the cops and you have this weird moment. Where you're like, wait, doesn't everyone love the Beatles? How can these people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a very yeah. weird thing. And then you start to realize like well, rock stars got in trouble all the time. And and then you start to to realize like, you know, how far they had, had drifted from their 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 beginnings as, you know, the the pop group, the Beatles. But just the the reception mm. around just on people's faces. Mm. You know, I would have yeah. been going crazy. But most people are well, like, what is it? Well, it's, it's a couple of things because you've got to realize and, and you just don't you don't think about this unless you actually stop and think about it. You've got to realize that those people on the street, when they hear the music, they're hearing get back for the first time in their lives right they i mean they've never ever heard, heard, it, heard it before that it's it's you know they're, they're hearing all those beatles songs they're hearing for the very first time so it's not like they're hearing i want to hold your hand or right right or um sergeant pepper they're not hearing the old the oldies and goldies they're hearing these songs that they've never heard before but but they are the beatles so they're not able to sort of groove with the actual 
songs themselves because it's the first time that they've heard them. But, but even the are, people yeah. on the roof, you know, you would think like yeah. they would have just yeah. been amazed, you know. But I, I guess it was—it's a different well, time. They sort of are about, I, think I think they're amazed in a very in a very British way. I mean, they yeah. do gather, they do, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. they do flock, and they do sort of sit, stand there with very straight faces. But I, you got to imagine inside, they're they're really excited. But, you, but because they're British, they're not going to, you know. Right. Say. And 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 the other thing I was going to say is that um, the Savile Row Police Station, because the police station that these guys come from is about a hundred yards up the road or seventy-five yards up the road. That was a police station where Sergeant Pilcher was 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 a base, and he was the drug um, obsessed rock star planting drugs guy who had already busted John um, the year before. He, and I think he who had he done? He, uh, Donovan, um, a couple, couple of others, and he was going to. Bus George a, a month or two later. He, this guy, this um, this guy was leading the some some uh, British police drug pop star task task force. Uh-huh. He was based in this in the same police station as as these two cops come from. It was a several row several row police station was was his base. And so there's a lot of whatever the, these cops have been hearing back at there about the rock stars and the drugs and their in their, you know you know in their um. They're bringing a really bad uh, influence to modern youth. I'm sure that that in the cafe in the police station, Pilcher and his other drug squad guys would have been blab- blabbing all that stuff. So these guys are coming down, you know, with a not not necessarily the best impression sure. of a of a of a pop group in the world. So it's um the guy got busted, the uh, Pilcher who arrested all these all these rock stars in 68, yeah. 69. He he spent about two two and a half years in jail. He got to, he got nailed nailed for it. For, for what? For, for basically, uh, well, for perverting the course of course oh, for planting of justice. Uh, I mean, evidence, George yeah. swears that he planted the drugs in his house. John swears that he planted that he planted drugs drugs in his house. So yeah, yeah. So like when you know, as a filmmaker now, like you know, given these two documentary projects, you know, where you you took these. These like fairly uh, dense and 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 epic bits of the past, and and thoroughly were able to extract something very humanizing out of them. Mm-hmm. You know how did how does how do you see that affecting your your filmmaking going forward? Because when I think about you, even like going back to the splatter, the horror movies, and then on through uh, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies, that it seems like there's two films. Like there's the um, Heavenly Creatures, which was really kind yeah. of a a, 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 a mm-hmm. mix, but it was a human story, and, and the Lovely Bones as well. There was fantasy elements, but it seems like you'd rather create worlds that, like you know, right? right. Um, well, I just do. I just don't have a plan. I, I yeah. don't know how to answer that. I mean, I I grew up. I mean, the reason why you make horror movies when you're a young filmmaker is because you can. You haven't got any money. I mean, the first film I made, Bad Taste, I financed myself. It cost me seventeen grand, and I shot it over four years in the weekends. You, you, but you make horror movies with a lot of splatter and blood because you don't need very good actors. You don't need a sure. very good script. You yeah. don't need very good yeah. production design, and you can get a, ma- a maximum Im- impact by going to the butcher and getting some some brains and livers and kidneys yeah. and some fake blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. so you, I think young filmmakers tend to, and I also love love um, horror, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I grew up on Hammer Horror Movies and, and The Evil Dead and all that stuff, so yeah. I was completely into it. But certainly horror movies are a great way to bust into the film industry because you can get big effect for little production value. And, right, um, okay. But then, but then, you, then you get into the phase where, 
you're right. You're writing something that's a bit more sophisticated. You now realizing well, God, the script has to has to be good, um, which means we're going to need to cast it really well because we're now going to have to have actors who can really deliver. And it's so everything just gets you know, yeah. The stakes the stakes go up. But okay. I, mean, I mean, Heavenly Creatures was Heavenly Creatures was done because um, I met my partner Fran Walsh, who's who's my um, co-conspirator and all this. She. And I met around the Feebles time. So, well, actually, I showed a um, bad, bad, bad taste. I got some advice from the from the first kind of bad taste. So, ni- 1987. Uh-huh. So, anyway, so we were together, and we had we wrote the um we wrote Braindead and uh, together, and we did that. And then she was very interested in in this um in this New Zealand murder case, uh, the Parker Hume murder, where these two two girls murder one of their mothers. I hadn't really he- heard of it, but she. She was really, 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 int- really, really interested in it, and, uh-huh. and had been for a, for a long time. So she pitched me the story, which I never heard of. We went down to Christchurch where it happened, um, just fr- just Fran and I, and we we met a lot of the people who who were involved. Obviously, a lot of the, the majority of them have passed away since uh, we we went to a lot of the locations, and she sort of helped immerse me in the in the true story, and we interviewed a lot of people. Who were involved, and um, and we just thought, well, th- well, this would be a great, a great film. So that was just, you know, that was how that happened. And then, and then, and then Bob Zemeckis wanted us to do a, a um, episode of Tales from the Crypt. His little, yeah. Uh, well, he was he was doing a series of movies. He did a, a TV series, but he was doing a series of movies. This is ni- nineteen ninety five or something. Um, and he was going to, they was, they were going to be labeled tales from the crypt, you know, films They were going to sort of, that was the branding. And so he, he, he contacted, I think he's in how many creatures or brain did or something. Like the other ones. Yeah. And so we got a, our first, our first Hollywood, um, experience was Bob Zemeckis getting in touch and saying, um, do you want you guys interested in doing a tales from the crypt film for me? And so we just thought, wow, you know, it's Bob who, who we loved, yeah. who did a very good film called, I want to hold your hand by the way. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, and obviously all, all the other ones did done. And so we we were excited. I mean, it wasn't you know it wasn't something we had in our mind. So we we walked around for a bit. We came up with a storyline about this um, psychic investigator guy who who you know he's a guy who who um who looks fake and and um and says he can see ghosts and it looks like he's a con man, but then he really can. And anyway, it was a whole a whole little little story. We we went to LA. We pitched that to Bob, and he says, "Great, we should do it." And then he said, "But I don't think it fits the tales from the crypt." Um, sort of brand, particularly. It's not that I don't see it as a Tales from the Crypt movie, but let's do it as a stand- standalone film. So that one was done, and then um, yeah, and then it went on to rings and stuff. So that's how it just works. That's how it works. Uh, with- just, you just dribble for you, you, you trip and stagger from one film to the next. There's no, there's no grand plan really. I, I mean, right right now, to, now they haven't done. Uh, they shall not grow old straight into the Beatles. I, I've got no no idea what what. I'm doing next. I mean, I, I want to go back and restore, and and because we started to restore my my old films, then the Beatles showed up, and that's been on hold now for four years. So the so the immediate um work for the new year is to try to fin- finish off restoring my old films, finish off shooting my my eight millimeter sk- skeleton fight um uh, that, that I did when I was sixteen. So um uh, those ones I do know about, and from there on we'll just see see what happens. So well, I I I, I'm, uh, I really appreciate you talking to me today, and I love all the stuff, and I love the Beatles stuff. And I and I really wish you uh, 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 success in making those uh, skeletons walk and dance. Uh, yeah, I'm a bit concerned.
soon. I, the idea of animating them, I mean, I, I built them, which was fun to learn how to build them, and now I've got to learn how, how to animate, which does, does concern me. But at least it's just me and a camera and them, so all the mistakes I make can be just kept, kept quiet, and I, can, and I don't have to show, show, show it to anybody. Unless, I, I'd like someone to do, I want someone to do a doc of you doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, take care of yourself, Peter. Great talking to you. Thanks, Mac. Thank you very much. Wow, what a ride! I hope he gets to. I hope he finishes his stop action work. What's interesting is, you know, what he wants to do over the holidays with the skeletons. It's uh, odd. I talked to uh, Guillermo del Toro on Thursday, and he too is uh, looking forward to spending some time with some models. I think a, a Lon Chaney model that he needs to paint over the holidays. There's a little similarity, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, you can watch The Beatles Get Back uh, on Disney+. Plus. Let's rock out, man. Let's rock out, man. Rock, man. Boomer lives. Monkey and La Fonda. Cat angels everywhere. (laughs) 